0: Hi everyone, and welcome to this special edition of Low Season Traveller Insider Guides. I'm your host, Jed Brown, founder of Low Season Traveller, and this episode is taken from the seventh session of the Keeping the Dream Alive series of webinars, which we're collaborating on with the World Tourism Association for Culture and Heritage and My Travel Research. This seventh episode is entitled Aviation in Crisis. And it's fair to say that for the most part, tourism starts with airlift. While many of us are not directly involved in aviation, we're all too aware that our livelihoods depend on it in tourism terms. Put simply, whatever happens in aviation will affect the rest of the travel and tourism ecostructure further downstream. As such, this morning's speaker is going to help us to understand exactly how aviation has been affected by the current crisis and what it will take to recover to previous levels. And there's literally no one better to help us unpick this than today's keynote speaker, John Grant of Midas Aviation. John has worked at the cutting edge of aviation for over 30 years, having spent time with KLM, OAG, ASM, and latterly with Midas Aviation. He's a hugely well-respected veteran of the industry, regularly provides commentary on the industry for media such as Sky, BBC, and others, and he thought he'd seen it all until we hit March this year. Today, John works with airports, tourism boards, airlines, and a variety of other partners in order to help them to attract, Retain and grow their air services. We used to call it root development, but perhaps these days it's now known as route protection. This is the Q and A from John's keynote speech. Enjoy. Thank you so much. That was ah, um, oh, there was a lot. There to unpick there, um, and it was um, look, that that was that was fascinating. I mean, one of the one of the sort of the, the themes that we've seen there is, you know, I think we're saying that the aviation industry, uh, for the most part, has been know in many cases falsely inflated for for quite some time right Um, and are we just are we just paying the price of of the of the fact that it has been falsely inflated for so long it was a great mark it was certainly a great
1: market as a traveler in terms of available capacity and supply um and you know we had probably created artificial markets that um just from a realistic long-term perspective were unsustainable. You know, when you look at an airline's network and you list all of the destinations, you will always there will always be at the bottom of that list maybe 5 or 10% that the airline is focused on and is at risk. Um, and, you know, we had allowed that to grow and grow. Aircraft, the leasing of aircraft became relatively cheap. The barriers to entry were almost non existent in this globalized world. It was really, it has been really easy, relatively easy to start an airline. And on that basis, what we've seen, of course, is you know, new airlines, new entrants, all of these sort of things. Um, so probably we've seen probably too many people, too many airlines, too much capacity, and yeah, we've we've probably we've probably been spoiled um and the
0: world has changed a bit i think uh, do Do you think though that there's an expectation both within the industry and and actually with the consumers as well um that you know we need to be working to return back to those old days which what we're saying is that as a result of covid it's been exposed uh for for, for what it is you know having false false you know root economics um a, a, as well as um yeah, I suppose I suppose a false sense of security with regards to the travel industry. Is it is it right for us to aspire to get back to that, or should we actually be looking at uh, you know a, a new world order of aviation? You know, is it is it yeah. right to be is it right to be bailing out the? It's linked to one of the questions, and we'll move on to the the listeners' questions. Is it right to be bailing out the likes of um of Virgin Atlantic, because you know you sort of think well, you know, if if they if they're not profitable and they're going to go bust, then that. That's, cap- that's the capitalist world that we live in. You know that that's what happens. But of course, there is the other side of this, which is, you know, for example, the Caribbean. That's going to massively affect their tourism economies as a result of this. Is it right that we keep supporting these airlines which are failing, and they're, they're failing for for good reason? Uh,
1: well, there's a load of load of questions there. Um, <laughs> we we if. If you were restarting the airline industry you wouldn't start it from where we are today in terms of a mix of public and private owned entities complete competing quite often against each other in the same markets Um, it it makes for unfair competition on occasions Um, the issue about whether we should be bailing those airlines out is absolutely central to um, the situation we face at the moment and I my, my personal opinion is that we shouldn't be bailing them out you know they um, should have behaved like good businesses um, respecting shareholder um, shareholders building up cash reserves they shouldn't have been doing things that strategically you know everyone looked at it and said why on earth are you trying to do this or why are you doing that and we you know we shouldn't be picking on Virgin Atlantic in this discussion why on earth did you start why on earth did you suddenly start uh, little Little red or whatever it was the UK domestic network paying a huge lease price to Aer Lingus when everyone knew that you would never compete against British Airways frequent flyer program and and the brand loyalty that BA had on on the domestic trunk routes absolutely stupid absolutely absolutely poor decision by that business Um, you know Why did they fly a very fragmented long-haul network the clue was in their original name Virgin Atlantic that's where they should have stuck to that was their strength that's where their brand existed but there are airlines that you could do exactly create exactly the same discussion around Thai International at the moment are are heading into bankruptcy from what I can see you know and they've been saved many times um so I I I think I think for many airlines Jed they confused being cash generative with being profitable mm. and you know that is a very very big difference um, and many have been slow to respond to the changing world in which we live in you know ancillary revenue incomes have been for many airlines still not developed uh, and they could have so you know there's a lot of there's, there's a lot of things that are wrong in the industry that this gives an opportunity to sort
0: out. One, one of the, the sort of the points on this that, you know, that again, that came across from your presentation and, you know, we, we, we've heard it from a few different sources now is look, you know, the when we come out of this. you know it's pretty certain there are going to be fewer commercial airlines in the world um, as a result of this. Do you foresee that that's that is going to have an impact on on the prices for for flights? That you know, I know at the end there you were sort of saying you know prices could come down, people might want to travel more than ever. If there's going to be fewer airlines around, is that an opportunity for those airlines to you know to increase the prices accordingly?
1: Well, I think I think one of the great challenges we have, Jed, is that as it just mentioned, the barriers to entry um, are much lower than they used to be so if we see demand picking up um there's probably thousands of aircraft around the world that will be sitting on pieces of tarmac somewhere that have not been put back into service by existing airlines that will be available for new carriers um so i i can see a situation where we will see failures, we will see airline collapses in the next couple of months um, and stretching into early next year um, because they will not have built the cash reserves up. But there will be other entrepreneurs out there with liquidity and with cash who will see an opportunity to start new airlines um, with no debt attached to that entity and with lease rates currently 30 to 40% below what they have been um, at the beginning of the year. You know, we will this is a supply and demand market and as demand rebuilds those airlines who've run out of cash reserves may well collapse but there is equally um, a high possibility that we will see some new entrants in, enter the market um, yeah. and you know we may actually see some changes in ownership so we see people who previously um, could not start an airline in an overseas country being
0: invited to start that airline. be, so there could be some quite interesting opportunities. This was linked to um, some of our questions. I'll start moving on to some of our our questions here. Um, As you can see, I'm on a very small screen, so I'm having to squint, apologies for that. Um, Let me get our first question, which was um, Enzo Zangrilli uh, from uh, from Italy. Uh, Good morning, guys. Um, John Jed, a comment, please, um, on your Prime Minister's 14-day quarantine. Um, Is it still on? Is it not something totally dissonant from any other country's decision on the subject? This 14-day quarantine period, you you touched on it in your presentation, John. Um, This is for the the, the, the UK. I'm not familiar with uh, with what's going on with Australia and New Zealand, although I think there will be similar kind of quarantines. But we, as you were pointed out there, John, we, we were told that France was excluded from the quarantine, I think the latest is that the republic of ireland has been excluded from the quarantine which presumably means that you could fly out on your vacation assuming you're able to uh, out of dublin come back from dublin hop over on ryanair to manchester or london and you wouldn't have to be in quarantine is that about the height of it uh yeah that is about the height of
1: it um <laughs> okay. I answer this question i mean it's as bad an idea as his piano playing is but that's you
0: know. That's a- <laughs> oh come on his piano playing is very good <laughs>
1: um but i think I think it just if you if you are an airline ceo and you are sitting in your office trying to plan your way out of this event and you either fly from the united kingdom or fly to the united kingdom and it's a large part of your network two weeks ago you were told that or 10 days ago you were told that there would be a quarantine 24 hours after that you were told that north uh, the republic of ireland and france would be excluded from that and yesterday some government minister said well we might actually have some selected countries that we would have corridors um, where uh, travel would be permitted Um, how can you plan your business on that basis how can you put schedules and services back in to operate it is it is by any stretch of the imagination an unworkable strategy and there are two people um who I have the utmost respect for from either end of the aviation spectrum, Michael O'Leary at Ryanair and Willie Walsh from IAG. And you know, it might just be their um, their country of origin, but they, but they tell it as they see it. And Michael O'Leary said, you couldn't even police such a policy in the United Kingdom, um, because you do not have enough government officials to check on whether people are Adhering to the quarantine requirements that are going to be put in place, it is incomprehensible. And for an island that is dependent on air service and was, up, you know, in the top five global markets for capacity, um, to have a quarantine uh, requirement is just madness. We don't have one now. Why would we have one when everyone else is building out?
0: Well, I think they're they're unpoliced as well, aren't they? You know, I think it's, it's you know, you're asked to go into quarantine. So I know early on in the crisis, there's a few countries which had this, which you were asked to go into quarantine. Um, and, you know, I think New Zealand, Australia, they were all there. Um, I have access to a lot of the forward keys data. And I was seeing that there were still trips that are being booked and they're still being booked today, just so everybody knows, you know, it's, there, are, there are still passengers on flights. Um, and, you know, people were booking trips for, you know, New York to London for three days. You know returning three days later well obviously they're not going to quarantine themselves for 14 days when they're only over for three days to begin with so it's That's absolutely not
1: on a one-day business a one-day business trip to spain at the moment for a uk or a spanish national would require a 28-day quarantine
0: it's period just ridiculous um,
1: at, at 14 days at either end of the route to complete one day's business it is just it just goes to show the lack of The lack of understanding amongst politicians um, about the importance of air service and how the market works Um, and you know these are apparently our elected representatives it it drives me to
0: distraction it It needs needs a real it needs a reality chair sorry john could i just ask you i've just realized could you turn on your camera just so we can see you i haven't realized you weren't on camera yeah sorry thanks uh yeah there you go there you go oh thanks john um Another point on, um, and again, we sort of touched on this, and um, I listened to a podcast recently, and I'm sure people listen to different podcasts all the time, um, about what the future of aviation will be like in terms of the airport experience. So obviously after 9-11, you know, we had the formation of the TSA, we yeah. got all of the security and the extra security checks, and there's been sort of murmurs now about... You know, before you even go on the airport grounds, you're going to have to be, you know, tested for COVID-19 and all of this kind of stuff and social distancing. So a couple of points I just want to unpick on that. Social distancing at the moment, we're being told that you need to be two metres away from anybody else. That requires a an individual footprint of 16 metres squared. Are there any airports in the world that are big enough for that? Is this whole, even the social distancing, is this... Is this just unrealistic, completely, for aviation to be able to have this social distancing? Completely
1: unrealistic. I mean, you know, take take any major airport that um, has a series of wide-bodied aircraft departing within a one-hour or two-hour window um, and have reasonably high load factors, 50% plus, then we're going to have queuing um, in excess of a mile, a mile and a half. I think was Heathrow's estimation. Um, and it it's it just not going to work. It is just it is just like please think about the whole situation. You know, um, there there are so many ironies ironies around all of this. At a time when the industry is contracting, when we're seeing less capacity, less passengers, we're actually imposing on airports a requirement to create more space and to distance people more than they ever have been before. And I completely and un- utterly understand. A sentiment but the practicalities of it are just not possible um, not and you know maybe maybe it's about it is about this confidence and reassurance you know do we put um, sanitizing hand wash dispensers by every air bridge so that once a person's got to that point in the process they can you know wash their hands again and and uh, cleanse themselves that way it, 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 no it's not possible there isn't an airport in the world that is going to be able to cope with that requirement yet.
0: yeah we're just we're just going to have to accept that there is a risk
1: yeah there we are but we've got to put this in context you know if you look at I mean in my own area if you look at the the population around where I live and you look at the number of incidences of COVID-19 and that we would consider ourselves a normal type of community uh with a normal demographic um you know we're talking about 0.0024 of a percent of people that have been impacted and you know as every government minister tells me a death is you know an unfortunate incident i completely get that but the death of a global economy um and it's all about risk isn't it and i think we've got to get beyond that point and start to rebuild confidence
0: absolutely um another question here um I think we've pretty much covered it but I'll, I'll read it out this was from mark taylor not sure if john will get to this if virgin are bailed out will the updated carrier be more likely to join one of the global alliances
1: oh, well, what, um if virgin gets bailed out well um virgin are quasi in an alliance anyway aren't they um you know they are part of the guide team um through their delta ownership um and They do many things that are consistent with what Delta would want them to do um, rather than what perhaps Virgin would want to do themselves. As I understand it, all of their back office systems are now Deltas. Um, You know, um, who pulls who calls the shots on the slots uh, at Heathrow. Um, I'm sure Delta have a considerable influence on that. Um, The value of Virgin Atlantic is not in the brand. You know, um, because in the last three months, their reputation has been shot in the UK. Public goodwill has been, you know, severely flowing against them. It's in those slots that they have at Heathrow. Um, And four months ago, they were trading at about twenty million dollars a pair. Um, Now they're probably not even a third of that value until the uncertainty is removed from the market. But over time, that value will rebuild. Um, and they've got the historic rights so that the value of the Virgin Atlantic business is in the slots rather than um, the brand and you know someone asked me would virgins would, would virgins survive and I said I, I really don't know all I can tell you is the capacity will be there you know if they are right. not there someone will we'll come fill in. it
0: yeah, yeah. Um, in the this was from dale lawrence in the 2016 um at the party conference in auckland john predicted the demise of the a380 we were talking about this off in there before Are uh, any um are, are other aircraft types now at risk of imminent obsolescence so i suppose this this comes on to this point there's you know when we're looking at, at a, a, a new world like this in terms of aviation you know where are the opportunities and threats for the different aircraft types as well mm-hmm. um well if 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 you're a fan
1: of a 747-400 and you can find a flight that's still scheduled and you want to do it do it quickly because it's not going to be around for much longer um yeah the 747-400 series was already becoming quite um quite a rare beast Lufthansa had a fleet and british airways got a fleet and there are a couple of other carriers out there with some um but you know i can see that being retired many airlines like BA and Lufthansa already had retirement had publicly announced the retirement schedules for those fleets they're going to be accelerated forward they're not going to come back um, so uh, that's, that's definitely a goner um, Americans got rid of the MDAT um, and you know that's not going to come back certainly not for America um, and probably some Delta's made some plans around a 767 so that's not going to be around in their fleet um, all of which plays to that point I was making earlier there are, there's going to be a lot of spare aircraft around that if someone sees a gap in the market and has no debt and you know can start from scratch and can build a new business model and doesn't have to worry about pensions and all of the things that many airlines are burdened with at this moment in time um, it could be a, it could strangely enough be a good time to think about a new airline. Um, but, yeah, and, and even Tim Clark has, at Emirates has said, you know, the A380 is history. Dow, I was I was right. Um, you know, it sadly, it's not the right aircraft for the right time.
0: Yeah, that's a shame. Um, will Emirates, uh, this is from uh, Andrew Denish Shensky, uh, will yeah. Emirates and Qatar be looking at a similar setup to the Emirates Qantas partnership, which effectively bailed out Qantas? Is this essentially what BA have in place with Qatar?
1: Um I I think um there is if you look at if you look at the Emirates Network and you look at Dubai and what has happened there over the last forty years, it's been a phenomenal success story, you know, the creation of a mega city out of uh, the desert and all the visionary plans that they have delivered on. Um, but within the UAE, I think the you know the question is do we need does the market need two national carriers or even three national carriers if you include Sharjah um, within the United Arab Emirates? No, it probably doesn't. Does it need three major airfields uh, within a one hour drive time of each other, um, two of which have little um, or minimal um, use um, and that's DWC and Abu Abbey. The answer is no, they probably don't. Would they be better with one merged entity? Yes why has why has it not happened Uh, that's the thing called pride uh, that has prevented it from happening Um, but you know if you were going to do it now would be a good time to do it Um, and i think you know qatar
0: qatar have got their own challenges where they are um will the potential this one's from mark taylor uh, will the potential passenger concerns re-health uh, and increased time spent in airports lead to increased use of private jets and perhaps also increase in demand for flights out of smaller airports, such as London City. Um, it's, it, that's a good question. Um,
1: private jet movements over the last couple of weeks have been significantly up on previous years. Um, you know, and it, it, There's a growing awareness that they can be quite price competitive. Use of secondary airports um depends on what the government requirements are on screening processes you know and whether those airports continue to to survive um in the united kingdom there are many regional airports that are you know now um with the demise of fly b which occurred before covid 19 had really started um many of those airports were 90% plus dependent on fly B for their uh, aeronautical revenues. And they, that's not been replaced. And we've lived without those services for f- three, three and a half months. Um, and it's gonna be harder for those services to be restarted after a gap of that amount of time. I know we've been in lockdown, but people will just either turn to the train or perhaps even take private car. Um, so I think I think it's it, it's a really um, interesting um, dynamic that we have
0: playing out at this moment in time. Yep. Um, Chris, Carolyn, uh, do you want to come on? Have you got any questions from your side? Hey, uh, Chris, did hey, you have any questions hi, that came through on your side?
2: Um,
3: well, one of the things that was when I was listening to John and just some of the sort of the dynamics that are happening, or the confusion that's happening within the industry, um there are so many small things that need to be considered. I mean, what happens with boarding passes and e-tickets? Is everything on your phone from now on? I well, think you so. You can't be passing these on anymore. Yeah. It has to be, I doesn't it, John?
1: I think so, Chris. I think uh, biometrics are going to be a fascinating area of development. Yeah. Um, you know your own personal passport um there was um, been speculation about you know put it insert it in a microchip under your skin that's got all your all your sort of personal details in your bank account passport etc etc all potential solutions i mean this will accelerate the automation of um travel no doubt about that be that from you know just Baggage drop-off facilities through to clearing security, boarding. Um, you know, you can you can imagine a situation where, um, for those who are lucky enough to, or un- unlucky enough still to get fed on an aeroplane, um, someone heats your meal up in a kitchen, puts it in a box, and you go and you get a message that comes up on your ife screen that tells you your meal's ready to go and pick up at the catering booth. Um, you know. Because all of that personality and all of those touch points apparently are going to, are going to be removed or could be removed. Um, what I would say is that as human beings, we forget things very quickly. You know, the hysteria the natural reaction to 911 was of concern. Everyone moved past that within about six months. Typically, the industry bounces back between nine and twelve months later. You look at the curve, and it's it's where it would have been this
3: might take a bit longer it's it's quite interesting you know I was looking at those timelines that you were you were um, talking about you know 2021 22 etc and on the presentation that I made a couple of weeks ago I was referring back to SARS 2003 and of course SARS lasted for what two months uh, less than 800 deaths and yet it took the industry the aviation aviation industry about a year to recover so the reality of all of this and then of course factoring into these equation the work that ICAO has to do in terms of policy and the various different practices this is a bloody minefield you know it's um, muddling through is is one way to
1: describe it right now but it's so confused completely and you know even at just so many levels there are many flight deck crew that if we are not careful will under current rules and regulations need to revalidate before they can actually operate a commercial flight unless someone issues dispensations you know everyone from cabin staff to flight deck are going to have to do familiarization flights and you can't do them all in a simulator you've got to do them in an aircraft and if you're going to do them in an aircraft these airlines are going to have to spend more money getting their people back up to speed now the UKCA the UK, I understand has issued a dispensation but you know that's got to be done on a global basis, and there are airfields in the world where, you know, because of their peculiarities and operating restrictions, um, some flight decks need to fly regularly to maintain their um, their license for that airport. So we've we've got things at that very simple level that need to to be put back in place. Um, air traffic controllers, you know, they've all been furloughed. We've got to find them and get them back on working as well.
0: You know, I hadn't
3: crossed my mind before, John, <laughs> but you know, when you look at when you look at COVID nineteen and the um, um, the incubation period, you know, they say it's two weeks. In fact, they now know that um, it can live in the nose for probably up to three weeks. Just looking at the, the, the you know the social distancing of a tech crew in a cockpit, how's that going to work? It's you know. it's really quite amazing you can test one person one day and the following day they could be positive
1: absolutely absolutely which uh, chris which interestingly was the first response from the uk government's chief medical officer when quizzed on that particular point said there is no value in airport screening because someone could walk through with a clean bill of health and not present uh, symptoms for another 13 days Mm -hmm. Uh, but now the chief medical and, and um, our elected representatives are saying that we now need to have quarantine. How do you how do you square that circle?
0: Yeah, you you can't, yeah, can you? It's um, I think I think it, a lot of it. You know, you alluded to it before, John. It's it's just going to be about it's going to be about the perception of it. Um, and it's just about you know I think a lot of it seems to be that you know people are just going to have to feel. More secure and safe, but like you say, there isn't an insurance policy in the world that's going to cover anybody for anything to do with coronavirus or any strain of a coronavirus uh, ever again. Therefore, I think there's just going to have to be an acceptance across everybody that there is a risk, hopefully quite a small risk, uh, but there is a risk. But you can't, you, you can't, you can't avoid it. And like they say, you know, we've been living with coronaviruses strains of it for at the very least. Uh, 17 years so uh, you know i guess it's just going to be a part of the new normal new abnormal whatever we want to call it
1: yeah and we'll we'll get past it the industry does it's Mm amazingly if other industries showed the amount of resilience and creativity that the aviation sector showed um you know the world would be in a
0: pretty good place yeah did you want to say something Carolyn?
2: um i did but i suspect it might throw a cat among the pigeons which is i think a number of epidemiologists might well disagree with you and we've actually had a calculation done of the benefit of the lockdown to the australian economy taking into account both the losses and the gains and we're 20 billion dollars better off for having a lockdown which is a pretty unarguable number um so i don't pretend to understand all the detail myself but i think When you say it's unarguable, I I would like to just say, well, maybe we need more than one kind of opinion on that. And we're all from an aviation background. We look at it through the lens of our world and our space. Um, uh, Australia and New Zealand do have lockdowns. We need permission to fly overseas and you must sell quarantine for two weeks if you come here. Um, It's not been 100% effective, but it's been widely supported and widely used. So I think um, we probably do need to be aware there's a wider dialogue that we sit within on that. And I'd be really interested to have views in the chat box from other people on on what their thoughts are on some of that. And I think one of the things that's confused people around this is um, probabilities which is any individual measure on its own looks stupid but every measure that's been recommended or taken has been looked on playing the percentages so it's incredibly stupid that 20 people can go 30 people can go to a funeral here in Australia but only 10 people can get together for anything else but when you look at the percentages of that and set it against the emotional impact of someone being able to attend a funeral, you can see why that apparent inconsistency um, sets up. So I'm just playing a little bit of devil's advocate here, I guess, for a moment.
1: It, it's, it's good to have a devil in the room. Um, but I, yeah, and you know, what you're saying is right and everything should be considered in a, in a, in a rounded context. And the biggest, you know I empathize with people in many respects because we're dealing with an unknown aren't we whereas when there's a terrorist attack you know it's a horrible situation and it's an event um, but people can respond in a particular way and authorities can respond in a particular way because they have seen that type of event before and know how to handle it whereas this is an unknown but it's the consistency of messaging not just in one country but across countries um, that is very very important to maintain confidence not just in in aviation but just confidence in society
2: i suspect that's part of the reason why it may have worked better in australia and new zealand than it did in the uk john is that there were two changes in that message one when only flights from china were set off and then the second was that everyone was self-quarantine at one time and that has remained in place. So it hasn't been, uh, I think that's where we see it, but I think you've definitely got a lot of support from people um, in the room. In fact, one of the questions was around, I'm just clicking down to have a look at it now, was, how do we knock some sense into the politicians? Uh,
1: Good question. Um, We don't, I mean, what frustrates me more than anything, I think, is the, woeful woeful response of the industry's trade associations in all parts of the world from IATA to ICAO to um, yep. you know the airport operators association in the united kingdom whoever it happens to be parter whoever it happens to be sorry Dow um, you know just there is god we've lacked leadership god we've lacked anyone you know taking the initiative and trying to bring people together and, and get a consensus this this thing happened three and a half months four months ago and Decao is still working out what its guidelines are going to be you know what did they do for the first seven or eight weeks of this event watch it wonder what was going on you know self-isolate at home you know, it just and some of the some of the sound bites from IATA I just you think you need to unless they're doing really good lobbying behind the scenes, in which case it's not working, um, you know, it's, it's just let us all down so badly.
2: Um, another question we've had, John, um, and this has come up on a few previous webinars, but I think it may be easier for you to answer this than some of the previous speakers, which is the whole issue of airfares and what's going to happen to airfares going forward if we are having to fly at these kind of capacity levels on aircraft.
1: Uh, well at the moment um, when we look at forward booking data so there's lots of companies Skyscanner, Forward Keys, Three Victors who have um, who track forward uh, fares um, and movements in fares we're seeing no movement in fares whatsoever um, either up or down now in truth they have very they don't have much scope to go down in Europe when you factor in airport charges and you factor in um, you know environmental taxes and all of the other taxes the net the net fare to the airline sometimes are more no more than 10 or 12 pounds in Europe um, and they make more of their revenue from ancillaries um, jet 2's ancillary revenue per passenger last year was about 37 pounds which is more than their average yield um, so you know what we are seeing is um, airlines waiving restrictions so you know whereas previously you bought a relatively cheap fare you couldn't change your flight whatever you've now got flexibility to do that I've heard that you know it's if you buy a an a fare on Delta and American for January at a really cheap fare and you manage to change a reservation and go in July when it's normally the high season lucky you um, but of course, airlines are trying to generate cash long term, airfares will stay about where they are. I can't see a really significant spike in airfares because, you know, to the point I was saying to Jed, if the market bounces back and we do see strong demand and airlines do collapse, others will fill that gap. The barriers to entry are so low now.
2: Cool. I'm um, we'll about have... that
1: though, John, to some degree, uh-huh. I was going to say,
3: we have a pandemic here, but we also have an economic crisis as well. So many people have lost their jobs. So many people are out of work. So there's gonna be, um, well, not so much pent up demand, but pent up aspiration to travel. That has to be factored into a carrier's thinking as well. It's not gonna come back. So do you think there'll be mass uh, discounting like we've seen previous years? And if so, how long do you think that will last?
1: Yeah. it, it will last undoubtedly, um, Chris, because if you think about it, we're now middle of May, peak northern hemisphere travel period is late June through to first, second week of September. Airlines are sitting with 20% of the bookings, maybe 30% of the bookings they had this time last year. They need to get cash in. You know, we're, we're going to be in a short, Phase of cash generation, revenue generation for the airlines is going to be absolutely vital. So we're going to be seeing some stunning fares for the first couple of weeks, um, and that that in itself is a, going to be a real challenge for airlines and revenue management because traditionally, you know, you would you'd sell all of your cheap fares in the six months, nine months out, and two weeks before travel, you'd be looking to sell to a businessman at four, five, six times what the leisure passenger was paying. The leisure passenger because of all of these restrictions and all of these uncertainties, isn't going to be booking until two weeks before travel when they, when they feel comfortable enough looking forward that there is still going to be, you know, no restrictions in place. So we're going to be seeing a clash of the leisure booking profile shortening against the business. So from an airlines perspective and from a hotelier's perspective, revenue managing your stock is going to become a little bit more complex for the next couple of months.
2: lots of questions about the future specifically of lccs and even one from tony hallwood asking about whether this is a time to start up a new lcc given um aircraft lease rates and oil prices
0: oh hallwood
1: air i can see it now um
2: <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> yeah as i say this this is you know, bizarrely for anyone who's if if you if you bet on the market, and you got it right, um, and you've got lots of cash. Now's the time to start an airline. Plenty of slots at Gatwick. Um, you know you don't have to go to Stansted. There's you know lots of opportunity around the world for low-cost airlines. If you get the business model right, you know, and you don't have those pensions, those built-up costs, all of those overheads, and you've got flexible working conditions for your staff, and all of these sort of things, and there's a lot of qualified pilots who are going to be looking for jobs in the next couple of months. Now's the time to go for it. There's there's enough gaps in the market that, that could be filled.
0: So there you have it. Huge thanks again to John Grant for his insights this week. And if you haven't already done so, do have a listen to the keynote from this session in the previous episode, also out now. That's all for now, enjoy your day, stay safe, stay healthy, stay home, and don't forget that our content will always be free for everyone as we believe that travel is better without the crowds.